this morning is the enlightened eyes of God's elect. We're going to get away from our studies in Isaiah for this morning. I want to ask you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Lord willing, we'll get back to our studies in Isaiah when we return from our trip. But I was thinking as an introduction to this morning's message, we as parents teach our children when they're brought into this world to talk and walk and just get so excited when they say their first word or take their first step. Then after about three years old, we spend the rest of their time at home telling them to sit down and shut up. (laughs) You know, that's just the way it is. And uh, all parents realize what I'm saying and uh, just wish our children would be more careful to obey those little encouragements. Just be quiet and listen. It's difficult for children. But they have to be taught. And in our unregenerate state, We're as ignorant as a box of rocks. Our Lord tells us that. Well, He didn't use that analogy. He didn't say box of rocks. But He did say that national Israel, and all of us are included in this camp, He said, they being ignorant of God's righteousness, and He used the word ignorant, they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. And that applies to all of us. You, me, my parents, my grandparents, your parents, your grandparents, our children, your children. All of us come into this world with Adam's fallen nature. Ignorant of spiritual truths. The word ignorant means not know, not understand. And you can be as kind and as gentle as you possibly can with those who have not been enlightened by God the Holy Spirit. And there's just no loving way that you can tell the unregenerate people that there's no good in them. No way that you can tell them that when it comes to spiritual things... They're as ignorant as a box of rocks without offending them. That's just the way it is. And we were there. We, we know. We understand that. But listen to this. If you're in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, listen to verse 14. It says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. It takes the Spirit of God to enlighten our minds before the Gospel will not be foolishness unto us. In our unregenerate state, we're in darkness, we're in spiritual darkness, just as blind spiritually as Bartimaeus was physically when the Lord healed him. And I... I'm sharing with a lady that I've been corresponding with via email. I'm I'm sharing with her that the quickening power of God the Holy Spirit, the enlightening power that gives us an understanding of gospel truths is just a very vital part of the gospel. And she just does not believe that. She does not believe 
that we need to preach that it's the Holy Spirit that quickens, the flesh profiteth nothing. And she quoted a passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians 15 that we're to believe that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And that we're to believe that Jesus Christ was raised again according to our Scriptures and that's what we're to preach. Well, you won't get any argument out of God's preachers when it comes to those wonderful truths concerning the preaching of the Gospel. We must preach that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Whether she knows it or not, and I'm not so sure that that we are fully aware of this, when that was written, Paul was referring to the Old Testament Scriptures. The New Testament was being written, but they had not been by the power and providence of God included into the canon of Scriptures. That came later. Now we do know and we believe that all scriptures given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. We do believe that. That includes the New Testament. But the Old Testament is full of the Gospel. And when you go into the 53rd chapter of Isaiah, you'll see that Jesus Christ died according to those scriptures. That God laid on Him the iniquity of us all. We, like sheep, all all of us have gone astray. But in that 53rd chapter of Isaiah, it clearly teaches that what Jesus Christ accomplished for His people, He was satisfied with. That He cannot fail. And we couple that with some of the New Testament Scriptures where He, the Lord Jesus Christ, reconciled His people by His death. He didn't make us reconcilable. He reconciled us. Now we as God's ambassadors, we do beseech those we have the honor of preaching to, be ye reconciled to God. And when God is pleased to take the gospel and point us to the Lord Jesus Christ in His substitutionary death, making us acceptable in His sight by satisfying His holy justice for us, that He by Himself purged our sins, that He did not make us redeemable, that He obtained eternal redemption for us, then we're preaching what Isaiah was referring to in the 53rd chapter, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He didn't try to save His people. He saved us. We just didn't know anything about it. So when we preach that Christ was raised again according to the Scriptures. We're preaching that Jesus Christ is on His sovereign throne of glory giving eternal life to as many as God the Father gave Him. And it takes the power of the Holy Spirit to quicken us to this understanding which is what our subject is this morning, the enlightened mind of God's elect. We must have the Spirit of God or we will never understand the Gospel. To the contrary, we will hate Christ and His Gospel. Look at verses 12 and 13 of this same chapter of 1 Corinthians 2. 
Word of God says in verse 12, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is given us, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. In other words, comparing Scripture with Scripture. But my point in drawing your attention to this passage of Scripture is just this. We must receive the Spirit of Christ. We must be born again. That is not an option. And I challenge anyone to go into the third chapter of John and read the account of our Lord's conversation between Him and Nicodemus and show me one thing that our Lord told Nicodemus to do in order to be born again. It's not there. Because there's nothing that you can do to be born again. We had no more to do with our spiritual birth than we did with our physical birth. And the Word of God says, our Lord Himself speaking, Except a man be born again, he cannot see. And the word see means to understand, to perceive. We cannot understand spiritual things. So this miracle, and this is what our loved ones were singing about just earlier, this miracle of coming out of darkness into God's marvelous light is a miracle of His grace performed by God Himself under the preaching of His Gospel to enlighten our minds to the truth. Go over, if you will, to John chapter 6, or I should say back to John chapter 6, and uh, let's look at this, how we must be taught of God. This is very vital. The work of the Holy Spirit is part of the Gospel. If we don't bring out the sovereign, irresistible, drawing power of God, the Holy Spirit, that He quickened us when we were dead in trespasses and sins, we'll never fully understand the grace of God in this matter of our being united by faith to the true and living God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And faith, contrary to popular opinion, Faith is not the sinner's gift to God. Faith is God's gift to the sinner. Jesus Christ is the author and the finisher of our faith. Our Lord Jesus taught that when He was teaching Nicodemus that a man must be born again. Now, let me illustrate this. I've used this before, but it bears repeating because of our subject this morning. When we come into this world physically, in order for us to be born physically, our daddy had to plant a seed in our mother's womb. But even in that, God is the only one who can open the womb. God is the only one who can give life. And we were formed in our mother's belly by the life-giving power of God Almighty. I know it's through the process of procreation, but it's still a miracle of God. And we read this in the Scriptures. He opens the womb of some, He closes the womb of others. So it's God in His prerogative to give life to whomsoever He pleases. And when we come into this world, usually, or used to be anyway, I don't know if they still do it, the doctor would swat the little baby on the butt, and that baby would cry. That cry did not give that baby life. 
The cry gave evidence of a life that had already been there for nine months. So when we cry out for mercy, when we come forth from the womb of unbelief, crying out for mercy, we're giving evidence of life that's already there. God has already sent the Spirit of His Son into our heart, crying, Abba, Father, no man can call Jesus Lord, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we won't call Him Lord until the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our heart. This is the regenerating work of God, the Holy Spirit. It's just as much a part of the Gospel as what Christ did for us at Calvary 2,000 years ago. And in that article I read in your hearing last Sunday, the last paragraph of that article clearly states that this work of salvation is the work of God the Father who chose us, God the Son who redeemed us, God the Holy Spirit who regenerates us and gives us life. And that's what this lady found fault with. She does not believe that we need to preach that it's the Holy Spirit who regenerates us and gives us life. But folks, if we don't stress that, and I believe this is what Paul was referring to when he said he was before the, fear, before the people with much fear and trembling. He was afraid that he could talk somebody into being a Christian or professing to be a Christian without it being by the power of God Almighty. And he says so in that same chapter where it talks about him being before them with fear and trembling when he said that your faith and your hope might be in God. And so if we don't bring out the quickening power of God, the Holy Spirit, we stand in danger of giving folks some kind of a reason to think that they have come into this living union with God by something they have done, and that's Arminian free will doctrine. So if you're with me, here in John chapter 6, I want you to look at verses 44 and 45. John chapter 6 verses 44 and 45 says, No man, our Lord Jesus Himself speaking, no man can come to Me except the Father which hath sent Me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. So those who are being drawn by God the Father, and He's not drawing everybody, if He was drawing everybody, our Lord Jesus would raise up everybody at the last day. He's raising up those who were taught by God the Father and the person of the Holy Spirit. The very next verse says, It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto Me. He didn't say, I hope they'll come. He said, those who are taught by God the Father shall come to Me. That's an imperative. So we have to be taught by God the Father. No man, and no man means no man, no man can come to the Lord Jesus Christ unless we're drawn by the sovereign, irresistible, drawing power of God Himself. And He does this under the preaching of His Gospel. Out of the preaching of the truths concerning electing grace, redeeming grace, sanctifying grace, preserving grace, persevering grace, 
Paul said, I shun not to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. So with that in mind, knowing that God Himself must be our teacher, and if He is our teacher, He will bring us to Christ. There's no doubt about that in the minds of God's enlightened children. If God has enlightened our mind, if we have come to Christ, it's because God Himself has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So with that in mind, go back to verse 40 or 37 of this same chapter and let me spend a few minutes preaching the gospel to you all. And that's a biblical term. That's not a southern term. You all, that's a good old Bible term. We're going back in that part of the country where they use that a lot. And I kind of like it. But when, when we say you all in reference to salvation, we're talking about God's sheep. His elect. Those that He purchased with His own blood. Brethren, this is, this is not something to just take or leave. This is very, very vital. We must understand this. That what God purposed before this world was created, He's going to do. He's going to accomplish what He has purposed. Satan's not going to stop Him. All the evil forces of darkness put together is not going to stop Him. And countless numbers of works religionists cannot do anything to hinder the work of God. The Scripture tells us that He has saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, it is now made manifest by the appearing of His Son and made known to us under the preaching of the Gospel. So verse 37 of John chapter 6, Our Lord said, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Did you hear that? I hope you heard that. He said, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. He makes a clear distinction between those who are His sheep and those who are not His sheep. Hold your place. I'm coming right back. Go over to John chapter 10. I could quote this, but I want to show you this distinguishing distinguishing grace of God that our Lord plainly put in His Holy Word. He was speaking to some unbelieving Jews They didn't believe Him. They wanted to see some kind of a sign. If you'll be the Christ, tell us plainly. He said, I have told you and you didn't believe. But look at verse 26. He says to these unbelieving Jews, Ye believe not because ye are not of My sheep, as I said unto you. He didn't say you're not My sheep because you don't believe. He says, you don't believe because you're not my sheep. In John chapter 8, he says that he that is of God heareth God's words. You you therefore hear them not because you're not of God. There's a clear distinction made between the goats and the sheep. Listen, we never were goats. God's not in the business of changing goats into sheep. He's in the business of seeking out His lost sheep. 
And in the very next verse of John chapter 10, verse 27, we see this distinction made between the sheep and the goats when our Lord Jesus said, My sheep hear My voice, and I know them, and they follow Me, and I give unto them eternal life. He said to those unbelieving Jews, you don't believe because you're not My sheep. But He says this about His sheep. He said, My sheep hear My voice. He didn't say, I hope they will. This is the work of the Holy Spirit taking the things of Christ and revealing them to us. And when we by faith embrace the truths concerning the Gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ has spoken to our heart. I've never heard the audible voice of Jesus Christ, but I've heard with the ears of the heart the same power that opened Lydia's heart, that she would attend under the things which were spoken of by Paul, is the same power that opens our heart, that pricks our heart, to give us an understanding of the Gospel, to give us faith to believe the Gospel. So go back to John chapter 6. Our Lord tells us why we shall come. Why those who are given to Him by God the Father shall come. Why He will in no wise cast them out. In verse 38, He says, For, because of this, because My sheep will come to Me, those who are given to Me by God the Father, this is the reason why they shall come to Me. For I came down from heaven not to do Mine own will, but the will of Him that sent Me. So we, here we have the will of Jesus Christ when He came to this earth spoken of by our Savior in these words. He came down from heaven to do His Father's will. Everything that He did was according to the will of God the Father. Every thought He had, every word He spoke, every step He took, every deed He committed, this was the work of God the Father sending His Son to perform. This was God's will. Hang on to your pew. We're going to jump a creek. Boy, we need to get across it. We have no righteousness of our own. In our unregenerate state, just like those unbelieving Jews, we're going about trying to establish our own righteousness and would not submit ourselves to the righteousness of God, the righteousness of Christ. But why would we want to try to establish our own righteousness? Jesus Christ did that for us. And it's a perfect righteousness. What He did while He was on this earth in fulfilling all of that which our Father sent Him to do was pleasing in God's sight. He said that. I do always that which pleases my Father. And a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So if we're in Christ, and I use that word if, stressing it, very emphatically, if we're in Christ, what He did, what He thought, what He said, where He went, pleasing God the Father perfectly, that's mine. That's mine. And that belongs to every believer. He came to do His Father's will. 
And our Father accepted what our Lord Jesus Christ did. He was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And by His obedience, many were made righteous. So why would we seek a righteousness of our own? We have the perfect righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ that enables God to not only be just and justifier of all who believe, but enables Him to look upon those who are in Christ justified. God sees no sin in Christ and He sees no sin in those who are in Christ. So verse 38 is telling us why those who are given to Christ shall come. He has established a perfect righteousness for us by doing the Father's will. Even paying the sin debt in full by laying down His life for us. Folks, listen. We were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. We just didn't know about it until the Holy Spirit revealed these wonderful truths to us until the Holy Spirit enlightened our minds. Look at verse 39. This is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which He hath given me, I should lose nothing but should raise it up again at the last day. This is the Father's will, that none would be lost. Our Lord Jesus has come out of the grave. He's not there anymore. He was delivered for our offenses, but He was raised again for our justification. And He has ascended to glory, not without blood, there to appear in the presence of God for us. He's not only the one who is making intercession for all of His chosen blood-bought people, interceding for us, pleading for us, without saying a word, I might add. He's not only there as our great high priest, pleading for us, He's there as our blessed surety. And as our blessed surety, He is able to save to the uttermost those who come unto God by Him, seeing He ever lives to make intercession for us. And you know what a surety is? A surety is one who takes care of the debts of another or the affairs of another or the concerns of another. Whatever term you want to use that in respect to the understanding of it. He's our surety. He's the one who's going to make sure that all those who are given to Him by God the Father, all those who were purchased by His precious blood, He's going to make sure that all of us will be with Him. And His his prayer in John 17 was, Father, I will that those whom Thou hast given Me be with Me where I am that they may behold My glory. And as our blessed surety, He's going to make sure of that. He's going to make sure that by His power, working in us by the blessed Holy Spirit, will not only bring us into this living union with the Lord Jesus Christ, but will also by that same power keep us looking to Him until we're delivered from this body of death, until we are ushered into His presence where we'll see Him in all of His glory. Look at the next verse. Verse 40. And this is the will of Him that sent Me, 
that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on Him may have everlasting life and I will raise Him up at the last day. We must see Him. And in our unregenerate state, we're as blind as a bat when it comes to spiritual things. We cannot see. We cannot perceive. We cannot understand until our God and the person of the Holy Spirit enlightens our minds. Now let me show you something in 2 Corinthians and I'll try to wrap this up. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, if you will, please. We come into this world blinded by the God of this world, Satan, who hates Christ and hates His Gospel, we're held by His power, we're held by the power of darkness, we're held by the power of sin, the Holy Spirit must set us free. And our Lord Jesus said, If the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. And He comes to us under the preaching of His glorious Gospel. And He enlightens the mind giving us spiritual eyes to see Him, spiritual ears to hear Him, a new heart to receive Him, new legs to walk pleasing in His sight. We're as helpless as a a man who has lost both arms and both legs as far as taking a step that's pleasing to God or doing anything with our hands that's pleasing to God while we're in that unregenerate state. And every physical healing that we read about that our Lord Jesus performed while He walked on this earth, whether it's raising Lazarus from the dead, giving sight to the blind, ears to the deaf, legs to the lame, hands that were withered, every, every, every one of those physical healings points to the spiritual healings that Christ is giving to His elect when He regenerates us by God. God the Holy Spirit bringing us out of darkness into this living union with Himself. This is God's doings. We not only could not be set free because we were held by those powers that I mentioned, we didn't want to be free. We loved that darkness we were in. We hated the light. But listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Starting at verse 5, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. Now a lot of these modern fly-by-night screaming Ishmaels who claim to be preachers need to read that. We're servants. We don't preach ourselves. We preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. We preach the whole counsel of God as our Lord enables us. And when it pleases God under our preaching to enlighten the mind of one of His elect or as it was in Peter's day on that first sermon, that famous sermon on the day of Pentecost where our Lord added 3,000 to His church by His sovereign power under the preaching of the Gospel. And by the way, when Peter preached that, He said to them, the promise is to you and to your children and to as many as are far off, to those who are far off, which speaks of the Gentiles. But he limited the number when he said this, even to as many as the Lord our God shall call. 
So He must call us. Like I said earlier, we must hear His voice. But look at this next verse. Verse 6 of 2 Corinthians 4. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, that God is Jesus Christ. He has created everything that we see. He is our Creator. He spoke it into existence by the word of His mouth. That same God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness and that light did not say, no, I don't think I want to show up just yet. I'll wait till I exercise my free will. (laughs) That light appeared. When our Lord said, let there be light, that light appeared. And when we preach the Gospel, and the mind of one of God's elect is enlightened under the preaching of the Gospel, it's God Himself, the same God who said, let there be light, who commands the light to shine in our hearts. The light must be turned on. We must see the light, and that light is Jesus Christ. And when God is pleased to bring us out of darkness... He will command the light to shine in the hearts of His elect so that we'll see His glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Everyone that seeth the Son, our Lord Jesus said in that 6th chapter of John, He will raise up at the last. We must see Him. But we, we don't look to this Jesus that's being preached from modern pulpits today that He doesn't deserve anything but contempt. We see the Christ of God who rules over this whole universe and everything in it. We see God's glory in the face of our darling Son. And verse 7 says that we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. This is God's power. That's just as much a part of the Gospel as the electing grace of God and the redeeming grace of God. This is the sanctifying work of God the Holy Spirit. Paul writing to Titus said that. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. And he said this in his epistle to the second in the second epistle to the Thessalonians, he said, We are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. The word sanctification, just a big word, means set apart. The Holy Spirit comes, and this is what He agreed to do in the eternal covenant of grace. He comes to us when we're dead in trespasses and sins. And under the preaching of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, He sanctifies us through the power of His regenerating work, creating faith in us, which we were singing about earlier. Christ must be formed in us. We must be a brand new creation. If any man be in Christ, he's a brand new creature, a brand new creation. This is God's Word. And I'll guarantee you on the authority of God's Word and from personal experience and from those that I've talked to who have also experienced this, when we experience the miracle of the new birth, when we're raised from a state of spiritual deadness, and are united by faith to the true and living God, the Lord Jesus Christ, we won't settle for any other gospel 
than that which gives our great triune God all the glory. Matter of fact, we'll abhor any doctrine, any teaching that robs our great God of all of His glory. To God be the glory, great things He hath done. And I, I just scratch my head and wonder why anybody would find fault with preaching not only the electing grace of God, not only the redeeming grace of God through our perfect Redeemer Christ Jesus our Lord, but also through the sanctifying work of God the Holy Spirit who has enlightened our minds to these blessed truths so that we can give Him all the glory for the great things He hath done. God bless you while we're away and bring us safely back to you. And I hope this message will help us to realize the importance of looking to our God, giving Him the praise for all of our salvation. Salvation is of the Lord. Jonah said that. He learned his theology in the fish's belly. But it's the same teacher, God Himself, who teaches us these blessed truths that we rejoice and delight in and love to hear every time we assemble together to worship Him. Amen.